You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. You have a seat. As you know, we are in a series called Like Jesus, right? God made us to be like him. He created us, Genesis 1, in his image, right? These 12 guys Jesus called to follow him, what were they doing? They were just trying to imitate their rabbi, their master, the Lord of the universe. And Jesus wanted these guys to learn how to know the Father as Jesus knew the Father, get away and pray, and how to uh, minister to the world, right? So uh, let's do a real quick review um, of where we, we've been. So two weeks ago, I kind of talked about, I, we talked about the Great Commission, Right? And where's the end game? What are we really shooting for as a church culture? We want to go and just not go, but we want to go with missional mindsets, right? We want to be intentional and have our radar on for where God is moving in our social networks. So missional mindset. We want a missional culture in our church. We want to make disciples, not just make disciples. We want to make disciples that make disciples. We want to be focused on multiplication, right? I keep going back to Genesis 1 and 2, right? God says, be fruitful and multiply, right? So, and then we talked about the end game is we want to teach people, guide people into obedience. Obedience. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've taught you, right? So the goal is missional mindset, uh, a culture of disciples making disciples, multiplication, and obedience, right? That's kind of like the three big things of like the end game. Wow. When people say Elevation Community Church, yes, we want them to say awesome worship encounters. We take this corporate worship thing seriously. And I feel like, it's great. This is amazing. <laughs> we just feel the energy in this room. That's great. But we also want them to say they're serious about discipleship. And these three things are kind of like what we're shooting for, like the big things. Last week, Greg kind of started us off asking the questions, okay, how do we, how do we get there? How do we get a discipleship culture in our church? And at the foundation of this discipleship culture is God's heart. He read from um, two stories from Luke 15, right? The woman lost her coin, and she swept the house diligently to find her lost coin, right? God's heart is breaking. He is searching diligently for the lost, Um, so do we have God's heart? Are we like the, the shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes after the one? He said, uh, do we have our radar on for lost people? 
Do we have God's heart, broken, grieving heart for the lost? And that's, we, that's something we always have to come back to. God, open my eyes. Give me your heart. Give me your heart of compassion. Our hearts are so small. His heart is huge. Let me uh, kind of start my message off with a little story before we jump into the passage. Uh, as I tell the story, you can turn to our passage for this morning. We're going to be in Luke 10, looking at Jesus's strategy for discipleship, right? If we're going to do discipleship, why don't we take the time and look at Jesus's strategy for discipleship? And as you turn to Luke 10, first part of the chapter, I just want to tell you this little story, a little cool thing. Um, I was studying in my office and I found this great app. There's lots of Bible audio apps out there. This one is called the Gateway Bible app. It is like the premium version of audio Bible. It's, it's fantastic. And so I've been putting it on for my daughters at night going to sleep. They have a hard time falling asleep. And they say, Daddy, Daddy, can you come in and sit with us and sit in the hallway? And, but I've been putting on this Bible app. And the first two nights I put it on, my daughter Zara said, Daddy, I really like these stories. I'm like, yeah, these, these stories are from the Bible. These are like gospel stories. I was putting on Luke and John. She's like, oh, wow, I really like the Bible. Uh, and I'm like, yeah. And so we've been, for the last two weeks, we've been doing um, Gateway Bible Audio app. Um, or, or you can actually do it through their website, too. There's no greater joy for a parent than to see your children or someone you're doing life with, someone you're discipling, savor Jesus and fall in love with Jesus. Uh, third uh, John uh, Third John 1.4 says it like this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And I look forward to my children actually growing up and actually walking in it, living it out, believing in it. And I think, what greater joy is that? There is no greater joy than that. We were made for joy for joyful, spiritual fruitfulness in our lives, right? And I, I, I want you to see this passage as just joy-saturated. Okay, found Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, Jesus appoints 72 disciples to go out and to... And to towns and villages, and to share the kingdom of God. And if you go back to Luke chapter 9, the first, the first part of the chapter, he sends out the 12. And the strategy in Luke 9 and Luke 10 are very similar strategies. They're, you can like look at both these verses and like, oh, he's like, it's almost like the same passage almost. And the same thing can be found in Matthew 10. So we're going to be skipping around between Matthew 10, Luke 9, and Luke 10, looking at this discipleship strategy of Jesus. Okay, let me read it. Luke, I'm going to read this uh, actually from chapter 9. And he called 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure disease. He gave 
Jesus gave the disciples authority and power, right? And he sent them out. Go out without me. Proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. And Luke um, 10, he says, and after the Lord did this, and it seems like these two stories, the 12 and then the 72, it seems like this is just like a few weeks of each other. It's like back to back happened. Jesus is on his way from northern Israel down to Jerusalem for the Passover, his last Passover. The end is coming. He knows the end is coming. And so he's just going all out like evangelistic blitz throughout the whole country. And um, one kind of cool thing I actually thought about, let me read chapter 10. And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said, the, laborers are, the, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So here he's sending out 72. He says, you got to pray. you got to get connected with me, the Lord of the harvest, and I'm sending you out. And what's the game plan? You can actually look down at verse 9. Chapter 10, verse 9. What's the game? What's, what are they supposed to do? Verse 9 says, Heal the sick in it, in that town or village, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we, that clings to our feet, we wipe out, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, be more bearable. On that day for Sodom than for that town. And so what is, what's the game plan here? How were the disciples told to enter a town? What was their, like, their initial engagement supposed to look like? How were they supposed to start things off? They walk into a town, and in both these passages, Jesus says, heal the sick in this town. Cast out demons in this town. Basically, they're providing opportunity for God to show up and to prove himself to people. Uh, Phil and I had a good bit of catching up to do this week. He didn't know I was going to tell the story, but it's, it's a good one. We had a good bit of catching up to do this week, and so we were um, at a restaurant having a long meeting, and Phil says to the waitress, hey, we're about to pray here. What can we pray for you for? And she says, oh, um, my ankle's messed up. Um, I tore something. I need surgery. I don't really have money. I, it'd be great to have a miracle. Phil says, okay, we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray for it right now at our table. And uh, she actually doesn't stay for that, and she goes away, and then she comes back at the end, like half an hour later. And Phil's like, hey, how's your ankle? We, we've been praying for it. How are you, you doing? That kind of boldness, that kind of trust, and Jesus is telling his disciples, show up in people's lives and just go for it. Provide opportunity for my power to be displayed. Right? And so Jesus is saying, pray those crazy prayers. Pray them. Right? And God's power it's not an end within itself, right? It's the hook. Because Jesus, there's more game plan here that's coming down the pipeline. 
Jesus has more for these people than just, oh, you're healed, you're good, you know, your best life now, and go off and be happy. It's the hook for the kingdom of God to take, take place. So the, my first point is wonders. They were supposed to engage people in this town or village with wonders. Show God's power. Second thing he says is proclaim the kingdom of God has come. We so often, with our friends, especially with our family members, we get in this mindset of what is culturally appropriate to say? What is politically appropriate to say? And we hold our tongues back from saying what is God appropriate to say, right? What does God say about this situation? What is, what is God's heart for this people? And you know what? It can be simple. Just dropping God talk on people, it can be that hook to hook them into further spiritual conversation, right? It can be as simple as, hey, I was just, um, you know, I know this is a bad situation, but I'm just going to trust God with this situation. Or, well, um, I just feel like God telling me that I need to pray about it and think about it and trust him for this thing. And your, your aunt is looking at you across the table like, I, I don't know what you mean by you feel like you need to pray about this and trust God about this. Like, that's like a foreign thing to me. Like, why, why would you say that? And then you have further conversation about God and what God's done in your life, your relationship with him, right? Jesus is telling his disciples, just throw it out there. It's weird to show up in a town and say, hey, the kingdom of God has come. And people are like, well, you know, in our culture, we don't have a reference point for kingdom of God. But people in the first century, Jewish people, they, had a re- they knew what, they wanted God's kingdom. They wanted the Romans out. They wanted like a Maccabean or kind of David-like kingdom back in their country, right? They wanted God's kingdom back. And obviously, Jesus wasn't into a military, political kingdom. He had a spiritual kingdom, Right? But this phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand, it hooked people. What? The kingdom of God is at hand? What are you talking? Dude, you're cra- that's crazy talk, right? And, God, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, just go for it. Throw it out there. Uh, I love what er- I was messaging with Ernie. Uh, some of you know him. Uh, beginning of the week. And he was telling me how on the construction site, he had the opportunity to just share the gospel with three guys, right? And I'm sure that's kind of natural because he has a relationship with these guys and um, Ernie's a cool guy, but there's an element of boldness, of just going for it. Jesus said, proclaim it, even if it's awkward, right? It's not, it's, that's never going to be normal. You know what the normal thing is? Just to mind your own business, <laughs> right? Our our identity as believers is, is what does God want in this world? Not what man wants, right? And we just got to go for it with our speech. So the first point is show up and engage people with wonders and then with words. Engage people with words. And I'm going to throw another one in here. We don't see this directly in this passage, but we see it all over the ministry of Jesus. Engage people with works. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. All over the Gospels, you see Jesus loving people, healing people, restoring lives. 
And um, how much, when we, that happens to us, when we're with Jesus, when we receive his love, it's like that love is just going to come out of us. Uh, it says in the, the Matthew 10 passage where he's sending out his, uh, the 12 disciples, he says to them, um, give a cold drink of water even to a child. So we're supposed to engage people with wonders, with words, and with love, with works, with serving them, loving them. Um, I don't know if the, the slides are working today. There we go. Yeah. We are called to engage with wonders, works, and wonders, works, and words. So um, this takes practice, right? You can't, you're not going to wake up and be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to talk about God all the time, right? It's baby steps. Uh, I had such a good time worshiping at the uh, Mueller's house last night um, because people were engaged. They were praying for each other. They were sharing. And it was like, it's that practice place where we can come as a community and practice speaking Jesus into each other and expecting God to show up with wonders, right? And just serving each other. And I'm beating my drum right now. That's what we want for these groups, right? We, we don't want our small groups in this church to be all about our own little community, our own little group, and we're just happy little small group until the end of time. There are, it's a, it's a training ground for us to learn how to pray crazy prayers, right? Like Phil did with that lady at the, at the restaurant. We're, gonna, we're just going to go for it. We're going to pray this crazy prayer and that your ankle will be healed in the name of Jesus, right? And even follow up and say, hey, how's it going? You know? <laughs> you cannot do wonders, works, and words by yourself. You need people. We need people. We need, we need groups of people in intimate gatherings practicing these things. Loving each other. All right. So what's... What's next after the game plan, right? These disciples, they show up in these towns. They engage people. They hook people with these things. And then what's next? Let's read Luke 10 again. It says, you can look down at your Bibles. Luke 10, verse 3. What's the game plan here? He says, okay. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I'm going to stop there for a second. Between Jesus sending out the 12 disciples and then the 72 disciples in chapter 9, chapter 9 is, is like full of warnings. He's like, whoever wants to follow me, you're going to have to um, you know, lose your life. And then twice he foretells of his own death. There is joy that comes from spiritual multiplication, right? Pouring your life into others. But it is very, very costly. It's going to cost you everything. And I think sometimes we read these passages like whoever wants to uh, find his life is going to lose his life. We read this as like kind of like a spiritual metaphor, but he's literally looking at the disciples, knowing their futures. And he's like, 
This is not a spiritual metaphor about, you know, me being discomforted. Yes, that's in there. This is going to be uncomfortable. Getting into people's lives and doing wonders, works, words, that's uncomfortable. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zone. But I think literally it's not metaphorical with these guys. He's literally looking at them and says, martyrdom is your future. You're going to die. This is going to cost you everything. He's softening the blow of what's coming, and he's letting them know that this is worth it. So I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Lambs, you're going you're to be sacrificed for this, right? Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, right? Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, say, peace be unto this house, right? That's like what, what, we, what Muslims and Jews say. And uh, with my Muslim friends, it's always, assalamu alaikum. And that's how people greet each other. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. And if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking um, what they provide. So what, what's this all about? You're staying in somebody's house. Um, we're going we're gonna to look into that. For a laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. So what is, what is that all about? Whatever, whatever town you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Right? So I'm going to do a little role play. What is this passage even talking about? What is it? What's this strategy? Um, and we kind of see it in more detail from Matthew 10 when it talks about uh, this strategy. We see it in Luke 9. And sp- I'm going to try to summarize in 10 minutes this strategy that um, Jesus is doing. So I, kinda br- I brought my Crocs this morning. I know some, some of you people in the front row are, are judging me for wearing, preaching with my Crocs. <laughs> I know, like, what's this boy doing preaching in Crocs? But um, I'm doing it so I can do this little skit with... Um, so imagine I'm the disciple Thaddeus, right? And I got Philip here, and Jesus just sent us out, and we go into a little town, and praise God, he, this guy with a broken leg, we prayed for him, and he was healed in the name of Jesus. It's awesome. And then this, this, uh, we got uh, Rabbi Ezekiel here, right? He has, he has a, little, um, a little synagogue on the south side of Capernaum. And he ca- comes up to us and says, I, I, I need to learn more. What, what's going on? You know, I've heard about this Jesus guy. And um, I say, okay, we're going to go to your house. And we're going to explain everything to you. We're going to tell you about the kingdom of God and Jesus. And we're going to stay. We're going to stay for a day or two. He's like, okay, 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 come, come, come to my house, right? So the first thing Jesus says in, Matthew, in the Matthew 10 passage, he says, when, whatever town or village you enter, search for. So we're literally going into the town searching for a person of peace. Stay at his home until you leave. The whole, your activity in this town or village is, is to stay in this person's house, the person of peace. So who is, in these three passages, how is the person of peace defined? 
They are curious about God and Jesus. They want to learn more. They're uh, yeah, eager to learn. They're humble. And they receive the disciple of Jesus into their house. And in a sense, they kind of own what's going on because there's lots of critics. There's a lot of people like, oh, this, this Jesus guy, he's a blasphemer. But this, this you know, rabbi, he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to have him into my house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the bottom of this, right? So the disciples, they search for, they identify a person of peace. And they, what does it say? Stay there. Meaning you, you sleep there. I mean, these homes in the first century, they're just like, um, they're tiny little rooms, right? With a little back room for, for cooking. So it's like this little intimate setting. You come in and you sit down on the mat and you eat here, you sleep here, and you talk here. So get the feel for kind of like this personal setting, right? And Jesus is saying, you're just to invest in this one household, this one family. Do not greet people on the road. That's verse 4, right? Don't even talk to others outside here or there. Do not go from house to house, verse 7. And uh, back in chapter 9, it says, when you leave that town, depart directly from that house. Your whole activity in this town is just right here. You're supposed to invest deeply right here. So why? What's, what's, what's going on here, right? And what are, you, what are you supposed to do here? He says in the Matthew 10 passage, Whatever I told you in secret, whatever I told you in the dark, that's what you're supposed to proclaim. That's what you're supposed to be telling people. These guys have been with Jesus two and a half years. They, they know all the teachings of Jesus. They've seen it all. So you literally just sit here with this guy and tell him, hey, Jesus, he touched this paralytic guy. And he said to him, your son, son your son, sins are forgiven. We heard John the Baptist say that this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world, right? We were with him in the boat, and we were about to drown because of the storm. He yelled at the wind and the storm, and it calmed. He has power over nature. Two times, we saw him touch dead people, and they came back to life. He has power over death right? He said that he was the way, the truth, the life, that no one can come to the Father except through him. And you answer his questions. And he, this guy has lots of questions. And at the end of the day, I'm here. I'm the apostle. I'm the disciple Thaddeus, right? And I just want to tell you that this Jesus, he has to be the Messiah. He has to be. You've seen his power, right? So that's the strategy. The strategy is, does, let me ask the question. Does Jesus, Jesus, he says, don't go from house to house. Does Jesus not love everybody in this town or village, right? He, Jesus loves the whole world. So why is Jesus just focusing on one dude and his family, right? The idea is, that you focus small to go big. Yes, yeah, God's heart is for the whole town. 
But his strategy is a movement to invest deeply in people who invest in others. See, Jesus did not want surface-level fans, right? He wanted committed disciples. See, one disciple is more powerful, more effective than 100 fans, right? And that's what the strategy is here. And here's the really good news for us today. This strategy, yes, it's uncomfortable. There's, there's a toll to it. There's a cost to it. But the strategy is simple. It's doable. It's low-tech, reproducible strategy of the disciples informally sitting down with others, breaking bread together, right? In their home, a place where they are comfortable and simply sharing their experience with Jesus. It's a life-on-life strategy. It's participatory, conversational, active. It's not this thing we're doing right now. This is a monologue, right? This is not interactive. This is not extremely engaging, right? So there's, you can't do this, this strategy, on YouTube, right? This is life on life. One life touching another life. What, what does this whole other part mean of um, don't take knapsack, don't take your sandals, don't take any money? Um, and it says in Matthew 10, it says, for a laborer deserves his wages. So what, what is that, all that about? Like just... Go as like a complete aesthetic, like just go with nothing and just trust God. I think there is an element of, yes, just go and trust God. But I think really, if you look at the passage, what's the point of taking no money and no food and no extra shirt? The point is, because he says it, says, for the laborer deserves his wages. We are, as disciples of Jesus, we are worthy of being cared for. Right? And the idea is to allow this person of peace to kind of own it. Right? This person of peace can be responsible for the disciples. And it's kind of it's an invitation to let this man, we are under his household, and this is something he's putting on. So I want to. I want to uh, thank Zeke for the uh, illustration, right? <laughs> so, um, I think you get the picture. God's heart is life on life ministry, and not that there is a time and place not to do corporate, big. You know what we're doing right now. In Acts, they did that right. They met in the temple. And they did big corporate teaching. But there's a time and a place for intimate ministry, discipleship, worship in people's homes, right? And if we, if we think this is it, this is everything, then we're literally missing out on the strategy Jesus gives us. This informal Life on life, 
discipleship. That's how he flipped the world upside down. Is Yes, there was events, and we love big events, and there's big events in the book of Acts. But let me just state it plainly. You know, we don't have a, uh, a small group ministry in this church. And that's why we're so excited to start it up, because God's strategy, God's heart, is life touching another life. And let me read to you, just to further illustrate this point. I'm going to read to you Micah chapter 4, right? It might seem really obscure, but there's a really powerful point in Micah chapter 4. He's talking about the kingdom that's supposed to come, right? And Jesus says, I'm bringing you the kingdom, right? So in some sense, God, Jesus brings the kingdom, but it's not fully realized until his second coming, right? So let me read to you, you turn there if you like, Micah 4. Verse 2, it says, this is about the coming kingdom, heaven, what heaven will be like, God's ideal This is God's heart, his ideal, what he wants. And in some sense, he wants it right now. He wants us to bring the kingdom down. That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his steps, that God himself is going to be our teacher. He will judge between the peoples, right? God's going to be our king and our judge. And we see that in the book of Acts. God judges people, right? He's the judge and the king over that early church community. And they will beat their plows into spears and into pruning hooks for nations shall not take up war against nation anymore, right? This is God's ideal. His heart is, is, is peacemaking, right? Then here's verse four. Um, I know this might seem obscure, but I think there's something really powerful in here for us as we talk about life on life ministry in homes. Verse four says, This is God's ideal from the garden throughout all time and then the coming kingdom. This is God's heart. And each man shall sit, every man under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. Right? God's heart is that you, as a father and a mother, as a man and a woman, that you, Genesis 2 again, would take dominion, that you would own it, right? The powerful thing about, about what Rabbi Ezekiel did, having me in his home, is he owned it, right? His neighbor came with criticisms, like, why are you letting the disciples of Jesus into your house? Oh, no, these are men of power and of truth, right? The, the cool thing about doing worship night at the Mueller's last night, Right? is that it provides an opportunity for Joel and Raquel to, to stand up and say, no, we're, this, is, this is our thing, and we're, and we're going to get involved, and we're going to own this, right? More participation. God's heart is that each man would dwell under his own vine tree. There's a sense of God's heart for you as an individual is that not that you would delegate your spiritual activity to others, right? God wants you and your home and your sphere of influence and your community to own 
your spiritual responsibilities. Don't, don't delegate it to me, right? Uh, a cool example of this is, uh, you know, there was a situation in a church and um, some people were struggling. And I said, hey, go talk to your, your group leader. We've had three groups going all summer. And I said, go, go to them, you know? Don't delegate everything to the pastor and these you know, paid professionals, right? You guys and your group figure it out, right? More participation. And God's heart is that um, there be more participation in spiritual transformation, right? And we see this um, all over uh, the book of Acts in the New Testament, right? So in Acts 2, 46, Brent read this last week. They met in the temple. They met from house to house. It says That phrase is three times in the book of Acts, right? It says they met from house to house. And not that there wasn't any corporate worship, any corporate model of church, because there was. Um, they, met, they met corporately in the temple, the, these 12 disciples were corporately over the whole community. Uh, there was deacons that served the whole community. You know, what else? There's a, uh, there was money. There was a, a fund of money that was to serve the needs of the whole community. So there was corporate expressions of the church like we have, right? But it also says they met daily, broke bread from house to house. Who, who's hungry for that, right? Who's hungry for that? Woo! I, I know I want that. I, yeah. Um, and it's okay, because check out this guy. I know some of them were caught up about, you know, how nice our house is and everyone's seen our dirty laundry. Guess what? Discipleship is intimate. It's messy. You know, like I said, this, these first century houses, they were like eight by ten. You can, you can go and and actually see the archaeological dig of Capernaum. They're tiny little houses, right? I, I'm thinking uh, Thaddeus and Philip were sleeping down here in this room, and all the children and women, they had to sleep on the roof that night. So it's, it's uncomfortable, right? But it's okay, because this is where ministry happens. This is where look somebody in the eye and talk about Jesus, right? I'm not satisfied with two, three-minute conversations in the lobby Sunday morning, right? Um, I want more, right? We want more. And so let, let me add, say this about Acts, right? I, I, I kind of got off track. Um, there is corporate church, corporate expe- expressions of church in, the, in Acts, right? But we also see, and I would even venture to say, where's the majority of the activity going on, Right? I would say probably the majority of it is from house to house. People breaking bread together, eating together, sitting together, talking about Jesus together, right? However, just understand one one nuanced thing about this. These homes, these home groups, they're not their own independent little things, right? They, They come under, and it's very clear in Acts, they come under the authority of the disciples. So, when we talk about um, home groups multiplying other home groups, and we want that. But what we don't want is 
to encourage rogue little house churches, right? I've, I've been in those, you know. Each man can have his own little house church, and they do whatever they want. Those aren't healthy. They're not biblical. And honestly, um, I know what men can do if they're in control. It, it can be dangerous. So that's why all over the New Testament, having elders and spiritual authority is good. We need it. Yes, we want to empower you and your groups. Disciple each other, counsel each other, mentor each other, um, operate in spiritual gifts together, do mission together, right? But it doesn't mean we don't want your own little rogue house churches. That's not biblical. We want people to be under the authority of a local church. Um, so, whoo! Let's keep reading, right? So Jesus' strategy was, you go into this town, this village, wonders, words, works. You find a person of peace, right? You just stay with him. You invest deeply, right? You sleep with there. You eat with him. You tell him all about Jesus, right? You answer his questions. And then... Let's, let's read on in this, in this uh, story. What happens? Luke, back to Luke 10. You can go down to verse 17. What happened with these 72? Right? I'm just going to stop right here. Uh, it says the 72 returned, uh, verse 17. What's the 72 all about? I'm like think, I'm scratching my head. Why is there 72? It's such a random number. Remember, we've been talking about God's heart is multiplication, empowering, right? Getting more people in on this movement. And 72 is like a really random number. But if Jesus would have said to his 12 disciples who just got back from their own successful missionary trip, if he would have said to them, okay, guys, here's the plan now. You guys are going to make three groups yourselves, three groups of two, right? Each of you. I don't think Jesus went around and said, okay, you know, one, two, three, four, counted to 72. Okay, and you guys get in groups. And the disciples were part of this organization and organizing people and helping people, organizing this big venture, right? They had to decide who's going to go where and we're not all going to go to the same place. And um, if Jesus would have said to them, this is me going out on a limb a little bit. It's not in the passage. You guys organize three groups of two because they went out two by two. Then... Um, six multiplied by 12 is 72. Um, so that's just my theory. But it, what's cool about that is it shows them Jesus is, is multiplying, right? He's growing this, this movement, right? And so let's look down at verse 17. What happens? They go to these towns and villages. They meet with people of peace. They stay there. Then they come back to Jesus, the 72 returned with joy, 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 right? This is what this all is about. God wants us to experience the joy of fruitful multiplication, of making more disciples, right? There's no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth, right? The kingdom work is so exciting. It's costly. It's uncomfortable. It's hard, you know? You're going to have to cut other things out of your schedule, maybe. But don't miss out on this joy. 
This is why God made you to be fruitful and multiply, not just physically, spiritually. They returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice, joy, 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 that your names are written in heaven. Right? Thank God that I've saved you for all eternity, and I'm saving other people, and I'm working in this guy's life and in this town and this place. Rejoice that salvation has come, right? God's doing it. He's calling people out. He's writing their names in the book of heaven, right? There's no greater. That's why we should rejoice, because God's using us to bring people into the kingdom, don't miss out on the joy. Band, you can come on up. So, church, us, right here. How do we engage with wonders, works, words? Like I said, it takes practice. We got to start taking baby steps. And honestly, you can't do it by yourself. You got to get together with other people. Start praying crazy prayers, Right? Start expecting God to show up. He does show up, right? Start doing it. The disciples of Jesus were also called to find people of peace, find inroads, right? And to stay with them, to invest deeply in them. I've been telling our three group leaders uh, this summer, invest deeply in your people, love on your people, go deep with them, right? Right? And third point, the disciples of Jesus should expect God to show up in people's lives, to come with power. So I'm going to emphasize what Greg said last week, right? Do we have God's heart for the lost? How do we get God's heart? By being with Jesus, prayer, right? Worship, everything Phil reiterates to us, being within the presence of God, right? And then practically, Greg said last week, join a group. It's that simple, right? We're making it easy for you. We're helping you organize these groups. Some people, you're already in groups. That's great. And you're already doing most of this. You're doing it, right? That's great. But a lot of you, we're not connected. We come and go Sunday mornings, and we're not relationally connected. We want to change that up. Starting the last week of August, we're going to start our groups, our fall groups, and we want you to get into a group that's, you know, we're going to be studying the Bible. We want to mentor each other. We want to worship together. We want to pray together. We want to be on mission together. I, we emphasize the holistic aspect of these groups, right? We don't want one little, uh, sometimes in groups, we can just get focused on one little thing. You know, I got a group that's just, we're just focused on the spiritual gifts. Great. I'm happy for you. But what about mentoring each other through scripture, right? What about mission? What about reaching out to others, right? 
So join a group and be expectant, hopeful expectation that God is going to use you. His heart for you is joyful, spiritual fruitfulness. That's God's will for your life. Amen? Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.